If you have your Bibles, turn to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, chapter 7, verses 15 through 23. And inside your bulletin is a sermon outline and a multitude of other scriptures that I've just put in your bulletin for you to take home. You don't need to try and follow along all those scripture passages, although I'm going to put some of them up on the screen in PowerPoint today, because this is one of those passages where the great Reformation principle of Scripture interprets Scripture is so important. We don't just take a passage in isolation, but the whole Bible is woven together so powerfully as it speaks especially to complex, complicated, and even sometimes upsetting truths of the Bible. So hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 7, 15 through 23. Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but every bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So far the reading of God's Word. As we come to the close of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus recites for us what is scarier than any haunted house in Bayville, any scream park around. It is scarier than any movie that Hollywood could make. It is a passage where the words of Jesus must fill those who hear it with more dread than anything Hollywood could produce, I'm telling you. And were we not preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, there might be the temptation for some preachers to say, let's ignore this passage. But, well, these are the words of Jesus. And we dare not ignore them. Martin started last week telling us as Jesus closes out the Sermon on the Mount, he gives us warnings. He says there's the broad road and the narrow road. And the narrow road, Jesus says, is me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. But now, in this passage, Jesus talks about false prophets and fake disciples. 
Jesus talks about false prophets and fake disciples. And we need to unpack this, again, letting Scripture interpret Scripture. And there's two points. You see them in your sermon outline, and then I let you know how I want to unpack them with a few other ideas there. But two points. Number one, protect yourself, Jesus says. Watch out for false prophets and wolves in sheep's clothing. I'm not getting forward movement on my screen, Jim. What do we have here? What should you watch out for? Oop. There we go. What should you watch out for? On the outside is a cute, cuddly, furry little lamb. But inside, inside, Jesus says, is a ferocious wolf. Halloween, we dress children up, uh, innocent, happy little children, and they put on little frightening costumes. But it's just the opposite here. The ferocious wolf is going to put on a friendly costume in order to deceive. And it's not just Jesus who warns us. Apparently, the apostles, at the end of their ministries, Peter, John, the apostle Paul, are concerned about the same thing as as they are saying their farewell addresses to the church. And what we see is what Peter writes. Look at this in 2 Peter 2, verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people. We read about them in Jeremiah. Just as there will be false teachers among you, they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. This is Peter at the end of his life. And the Apostle John, as he writes those, in those letters at the end, he says, Dear friends, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And the Apostle Paul is on the shore at Ephesus, about to board the boat to depart from the church that he loves. He served them for several years, and with tears he's saying his farewell, and he says in Acts 20, 29, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Who are these wolves? Who are the wolves? The Bible says the wolves are the heretics and the hypocrites. Two words, maybe not common in your everyday language, but friends, if you're a Christian, Jesus is saying, watch out for the heretics and the hypocrites. They are like ferocious wolves who have cute, cuddly, furry lambs fleece on. And is there anything scarier than having someone who seems like they want to be your friend who will kill you? And then, of course, even scarier than that, to actually be a Christian, think that you're a Christian, only to hear Jesus say, depart from me, I never knew you. Heretics, 
How do you define the word heretic? Well, Peter does a pretty good job in the passage that I put up there. He says, they secretly introduce destructive heresies, even, and here it is, denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. I mean, look, people in the church, they disagree about something. You disagree about whether you like hymns or contemporary music, if you like drums or you don't like drums or guitar. Or, you know, people disagree about certain fine points of theology and how you rule the church. You can, there's all kinds of things we're not exa- always in agreement on. But Peter tells us, beware of those who introduce the destructive heresies that deny the Lord and the Lord who bought, who deny the cross and who deny the Lord who bought them. It's a pretty good definition of a heretic. And the hypocrites, who are they? These are the people who teach the Bible, they hold the Bible, they speak the Bible, but their life does not match the message you see. And so what does Jesus tell us to do? Well, He tells us to pay attention to the good trees and the good fruit and pay attention to the bad fruit. Run away from the bad fruit and hurry to the good fruit. For by their fruit, verse 20, you will recognize them. I think I have that. There it is. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. By their fruit, you will recognize them. So Jesus says to the Christians, hey, pay attention. See what you recognize among them. What sort of heretics are out there today? Well, let's go with some obvious ones. This week uh, at the church office... They knocked on the door. Who were they? The Jehovah's Witnesses. They came to the church office, and I hollered down to Jim. I said, Jim, I saw them coming. Jim, there's some Jehovah's Witnesses coming. Uh, I'm letting you handle this one today, Jim. And, uh, and he was great with them. And, you know, they knock on the door, and they say, we're going to businesses and commu- uh, in the community, and we're just giving out some information that's important to people, and would you like this Watchtower or Awake magazine, you know? And Jim said, well... It's nice of you to come by. I stood at the top of the stairs listening. You know. And Jim said, he said, you know, uh, we're, we're a church here, and we love Jesus. And she said, we love Jesus too. And then Jim took one of those tracts, you know, that we handed out to you all last week that, that I put together for witnessing. And He said, look, if you're going to give me your magazine, let me give this to you so you can see what we believe about Jesus, because we love Jesus. And the lead lady recoiled in horror. Oh, no. I could never take that from you. Friendly on the outside. You know, Jehovah's Witnesses, they are well-dressed. They are polite. They are industrious people. But they were founded in, uh, in, in, uh, in the 1870s by this guy, Charles Taze Russell, who got this idea that he needed to create the Watchtower Society to correct the church from her errors, and they deny the deity of Jesus Christ. They mangle the Scriptures in order to suggest that He is not God the Son. 
and that salvation comes by obeying their cultic practices and doing the good works that they subscribe. And maybe, just maybe, you can be one of the 144,000. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. Hmm. Who else? Who else is well-dressed, hard-working, patriotic, industrious, with a missionary heart? Well, the Mormons. What about the Mormons? Good-looking people. You want them for your neighbor. Good neighbor. You can count on them. Eighteen twenties. Some crackpot named Joseph Smith says he gets this information about these golden plates because Jesus came to America to find a lost tribe of Israel that was here. And he puts his face in a hat and he, he transcribes the Egyptian or whatever hieroglyphics there are to a recording secretary in order to give us the Book of Mormon uh, because he met the angel Moroni who told him what is, is supposed to happen to create the, the, the true church of Latter-day Saints. What do the Mormons believe? That God is a man on the planet Kolob in some other galaxy? That Jesus is a brother of Lucifer. Jesus is Lucifer's brother, but he's the good brother. And you see, there's, there's words in there, but it's crazy stuff. And salvation comes by obeying Mormon teaching and doing good works. What about Christian scientists? You heard Don Cameron give his testimony about growing up in the home of a Christian scientist and the works of Mary Baker Eddy who took the scriptures and twisted them. To deny the reality of sin and evil and pain as though it were just an illusion. Wake up! Or you drive by the Unitarian deists, the Unitarians. These are people who say, well, we like the idea of God, and well, we, we respect Jesus as a man, but really this business of dying and rising from the dead and this notion of a blood atonement, well, that's repugnant to us. And we're offended at the suggestion that we would need a Savior to atone for our sins. How dare you? Or the liberation theologians, liberation theology that grew out of the Latin American church, uh, Catholic church, and now is embraced by many of the African American churches here in America that is simply the taking of Marxist ideology and putting it on top of the church in order to, to co-opt the church for political purposes and political agenda. My list is long. I'll stop there. There are many more heretics out there. They, they hold the Bible oftentimes in their hands, but they, do, they deny the Lord who bought them. They speak, see, the fruit of the heretic is they speak, Jeremiah says, words from their own minds, but not from the Word of God. And they mingle that with Scripture. See, in America, it's Western Enlightenment, humanism uh, comes and mixes in with Christianity. In Benin, remember in Africa where we've gone, over in, in uh, uh, West Africa, it's not Enlightenment, humanism that, that pollutes the church. It's voodoo. 
right? And they take their voodoo practices and they mix it in with their Christianity. But you see, the church gets corrupted and then uh, heretics emerge and they do not teach the gospel of Jesus Christ faithfully. The church gets corrupt. And then hypocrites. Who are hypocrites you can recognize today? They're the ones who hold the Bible, but their life does not match their message. And we see and we hear terrible news about predators, even the most awful, that religious leaders prey on children sexually and physically. We read about pastors and others who, who take the offering, and instead of the offering carefully counted like we do and governed by an audit committee, and they, 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 they take all the money for themselves and they get rich off the sacrificial gifts of people. Or through legalism, through legalism and authoritarian personalities. Look, a lot of a lot of a lot of crackpot men with authoritarian personalities love the idea of becoming a pastor because then you can tell people what to do and you can control people and you can make them do your bidding. I remember I remember when I was in my early twenties. I'm a fairly young Christian in college and I'm gonna go to seminary and I'm excited. And a friend of mine says, John. You have got to hear this Bible teacher. His name is Doug Kleber. He used to play for the Cleveland Browns, and oh, he's a powerful prophet. Come here. So I went with him. And this guy, uh, he was powerful, six foot five, 240 pounds, chiseled muscle. And he was fierce. He was a prophet. He said, I am a prophet of God, and I want you to know that. And he, he began to talk about how you must leave the corrupt church. You have to leave the institutional church. You must abandon. This is the way of men. You must follow God. And today I tell you, you and he speaks to me because I had told him I was hoping to go to seminary. He said, today there is a fork in the road in your life and you must choose. Will you go the way of man or will you follow me and go the way of God? And I'm like, ah. And then I realized he was a nut. He was. He was just a man with a controlling personality who used his size and the force of his voice to... And, and you know what? I googled him this week. And it turns out, in the late 80s, he went to jail. He went to jail for, for uh, being in a church that, that beat kids in order to force them to confess their sins. And a boy died. And I mean, and he would tell his people what to wear and how to eat and how to clean their houses and what to do in the marriage bed and, and how to run their finances. And, and the people, they didn't see this evil fruit. Jesus says, watch out, there are wolves. When you see bad fruit, you should get away as far as possible as you can from it. And instead, you should look for pastors and preachers and leaders who bear good fruit. What does Paul tell Timothy? All right, I'm not, not moving forward here. Next one, Jim. What does Paul tell Timothy? Keep going. Paul says to Pastor Timothy, 
watch your life and doctrine closely. See, the hypocrite doesn't watch his life, and the heretic doesn't watch his doctrine. But pastors at the North Shore Community Church, elders at the North Shore Community Church, Sunday school teachers at the North Shore Community Church, home fellowship group leaders at the North Shore Community Church, youth group workers at the North Shore Community Church, watch your life and doctrine closely. He speaks to Pastor Titus. I know this is long, but this is so interesting. This is just one of the passages that addresses the elders. And he says, since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless. Not, and now here's the list that you don't want to see, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Okay, that's the bad fruit Jesus was talking about. Rather, he must be hospitable must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. That's the life part. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught that he can encourage others by sound doctrine. Jesus says, look, people people are like plants. Men are like plants. Women are like plants. And you bear fruit. The question is, where are your roots? Where are your roots? Are you rooted and grounded in Christ? And does the fruit of your life show that you are rooted and grounded in Christ? And the fruit of your teaching. Oh, wasn't it interesting today? Were you awake when we asked uh, the questions at the ordination this morning? Did you hear that really long second question? You don't hear this question in other denominations. You don't hear this question in other denominations, but we asked, listen to this, do you further promise that if at any time you find yourself out of accord with any of the fundamentals, we're not saying little fine points, but any of the fundamentals of the system of doctrine, you will, on your own initiative, make known to your session, that's the board of elders, the change which has taken place in your views since the assumption of this ordination vow. Why do you think this long question is in there? Don't we trust everybody who becomes an elder? But people do change. And theology can be conveniently adjusted. And when that happens in this church, we say, come on, be a man and tell us when you've changed. Because we want our elders to hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. And, it's, and, and, and so it's not just what we currently hold, but it's what the fathers have said before us in the historic Orthodox Church. What, what did St. Augustine teach? And what did John Calvin teach? And what did Martin Luther teach? And what did Jonathan Edwards teach? And uh, you hear me quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones or John Stott, what they teach. Godly, good people who hold firmly to the truth, the deposit, it's sometimes called, given to the saints. And this is a good thing, isn't it? Don't you feel better being in a church where teachers and elders agree 
with the confession of faith and the historic orthodox points so that we don't become heretics. Protect yourself because there are wolves out there. Now, we turn to the scarier passage. And Jesus says something that is absolutely chilling. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. How did this happen to those people who said, Lord, Lord? How did it happen? Well, it happened because of point one. It happened because of false prophets and bad teachers, often who led them astray. And, and that's a terrible thing. And so the book of James says teachers will be judged more severely. You want to be a teacher? Okay, great. Just, just remember, you're going to be judged more carefully. But the second reason, and Martin talked about this some last week, is their own presumptuous and proud hearts that are really quite eager to believe that their own good works will corral God into giving them salvation. You see, these people did a lot of righteous talking. John Stott says that their talk was actually pretty good. It was polite, and it was uh, at some level orthodox, and it was passionate, and it was fervent. They talked ministry. But Jesus rebukes them, and what do they object? They say, well, but we were preaching. Doesn't that count for something? I was, a prof- I was prophesying, I was, which is preaching. Doesn't that count for something, Jesus? And you remember, and Bill quoted it in his prayer, you remember 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong and a noisy cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mystery and knowledge, and I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. So then they object, okay, well, well, we did exorcisms. Ha! Doesn't that count for something? We drove out demons in your name. Well, if you ever read the book of Acts, there's this wonderful story in Acts 19 where uh, the sons of Sceva, anybody remember the sons of Sceva? They were these Jewish young men, and, and it says uh, seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were... Um, saying, in the name of Jesus, they were addressing demon-possessed people, and they, they say, in the name of Jesus, I tell you to come out. And one day, an evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? The man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them, and he gave them all such a beating, they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. All right, so you knew how to cast out a demon. They were nothing. So then they object, but we did miracles. Ha! But Jesus warns in Matthew 24, 24, 
in the Olivet Discourse, at the end of his ministry, he says, false prophets will arise and perform great signs and miracles to deceive the elect, even if that were possible. And what's going on here, the psychology of these people, is that if I did good works, somehow I have persuaded God, I've, I've collared God, I have something over on God so that He needs to save me. And nobody can have anything on God. What are they missing? Let me be specific from the text about what they were missing. Because maybe you're saying to yourself, well, I at least don't want this to happen to me. Pastor, I don't want to be one of those people that he says depart. So what's missing? And I think two things. What's missing is repentance and a personal relationship with Jesus. Because at the end, he says, away from me, you evildoers. And if you cut right to the chase, they are still evildoers. And what this is telling us is that there is no repentance over sin in their life. Apparently, they're still quite comfortable with their sin in spite of all that they were doing. And a true Christian, a true Christian is someone who comes to Jesus Christ by faith, but he comes to Christ through the cross. And at the cross, what do I need forgiveness from at the cross? Bad self-image? Some poor financial choices? What do I need forgiveness? What do I need the cross for? For the forgiveness of my sins. And I turn, I leave them there, and I turn. Repentance means turning. I turn from my sin to Jesus Christ. And repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin, you see. Listen, before I was a Christian, I was a big sinner. But I didn't care. It didn't bother me. After I became a Christian, did I still sin? Yeah. Yes. But now it bothers me. Why does it bother me? After you became a Christian, does your sin bother you? Yes. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has now been given. Christ lives in you. The Spirit of Christ is in you. And he loves you, so He won't let you go. He won't let you keep putting other people down. He won't let you keep hating other people. He won't let you keep objectifying the opposite sex in a, in a perverse way. He won't let you do that. He's, he's after you to cleanse your heart. And so you are no longer definitively defined as an evildoer if you are truly in Jesus Christ. He puts His Spirit in you. It cries out, Abba, Father. And then you know what happens when God is your Father? You want to do His will. You want to do His will. And who are those that come into heaven? Jesus tells us in the text, He who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And there is a tragic irony here because the people who were preaching and casting out demons and doing miracles thought they were doing the will. But because there was no repentance in their life and because there was no personal relationship, you see, there was no personal relationship. Why? Because Jesus said, I never knew you. For, for some reason, Christianity is not about doing. 
There's an old hymn. It says, lay your deadly doings down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand and rest in Him alone, gloriously complete. I like that. It's a good hymn. We should sing it sometime. And then you want to do the will of your Father in heaven. Who, who, who can live this way perfectly? Who can do it? Well, there's only one. There's only one person who ever did the will of the Father in heaven perfectly. Who is that? It's Jesus. And aren't you grateful for Jesus? John 4, 34, he says, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. And John 6.38, For I came down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of Him who sent me. Oh, friends, what we do is we cast ourselves upon Jesus. And we say, Jesus, your act of obedience is credited to my account. And Jesus, save me from my own sins. And Jesus, give me your spirit so that I say, Father, I want to do your will. What should you do? The Bible says examine yourself. Examine yourself. Okay, he woke you up, and you didn't run off to the store to buy another can of soup. He brought you here, and so now, what should you do? Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ is in you, unless, of course, you fail the test? What's the test? How do I pass the test? Is Christ in you? Have you received Jesus Christ Or are you still resting in your good works, in your performance? John 1.12, but to all who receive Him, who believe in His name, He gives the right to become children of God. He gives the power, it's exousia, the power to become children of God. Unless you fail that test, don't fail that test. And when you come to communion, 1 Corinthians 10.28, the second Sunday of every month, I think every member should be here eager and ready to feed on Christ. But it says, let a person, a man, woman, child who partakes, let them examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Where do you look? Not to your works. You look to Christ. There will be many who come But you know what? Got to end with some good news here. If you belong to Jesus, you will rise. You will rise. We sang that song. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. He will say to you, Well done, good and faithful servant. Let us pray. Oh, our Father, we have been humbled by this text this morning, and we want to be protected. We want to protect ourselves from wolves in sheep's clothing. Lord, will you protect the preacher of this church? Will you protect the elders of this church and the flock of this church, that we might love and be faithful to your word and your gospel, preaching Christ, Christ alone, We also thank you for Hebrews 7.25 that says he is able to save completely those who come to the Father through him because he ever lives. He's alive to intercede for us. Thank you, Jesus, for being alive for us. And we pray for anyone who now would say, I want to be sure 
that it's not my works, but it's Christ, well then, right now, would you just simply tell the Lord Jesus, I want to receive you, and I want to be part of those that you called home to heaven because of your great work and your great glory. I repent of my sins. If they are a stench in your nostrils, O God, make them a stench in my nostril so that I don't love my sin anymore. I leave it at the cross and I stand clean before you and I want to do the will of my Father in heaven. So, hear us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.